You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Church, today we're uh, taking a break from our series in Romans. As you can see, we are in Proverbs. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to take that out and turn with me and open up to Proverbs chapter 27 where we're going to see today a case for godly friendships. I think godly friendships is an important word for the church today and for believers today and maybe for you and I today to think, do I have godly friends in my life? Do I long for godly friends in my life? Last summer, uh, the American Survey Center released uh, a study that they had done a survey on the effects of the pandemic and the social changes we've seen in our world, things that have happened since COVID began. And uh, as we begin today, I want to share some of the stats that I found uh, fascinating. One of them said this, that only 56% of young adults have made a new friend in the last 12 months. That only 31% of seniors say they've made a new friend in the last five years. 21% of adults have made a close friend at their place of worship. 79% of adults have not made a close friend at their place of worship. And 16% less adults have a best friend since 1990. So today in Proverbs 27, I want us to unpack in four particular verses, um, who is my friend? Or maybe to answer the question, what should a godly friend be in my life? Now, maybe you think, well, that term friend, I use it quite loosely. I call many people friends. I introduce people in my life as my friend. I have friends in my workplace or friends in my class or friends in my neighborhood. I just call everyone friends and, you know, bless you for that. But maybe today you're going to see that there's a reason to maybe redefine some of the people in your life that not everyone can be your friend. I want to show you some rings of relationship that I think are true for all of us. At the center, the most rewarding relationships in our lives should be our friends, or what we're going to call today, our godly friends. And then you might have a ring of relationship of what we would call acquaintances. These are people that you know a little, they know a little about you. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood, but they don't really know you. And maybe more importantly, they don't know when you're struggling. And on the outer ring here, we have strangers. We have people that you don't even know at all because you've never met them, but that's why you don't call them friends. Now, I'm a big hockey fan. I love the Leafs. And so I add two extra rings at the end of this. I have everything else in the Milky Way, and then I have Montreal Canadian fans. But here's the point. At the center of your life should be godly friends. You should have godly friends. But the statistics will show that not enough of us have godly friends. And we're gonna see today a reason why you should build a case for godly friends in your life. And perhaps that's why C.S. Lewis says about godly friends this, few value it because few experience it. So maybe you don't long for a godly friend because it might be that you've never truly experienced a godly friend in your life. The fruit that it brings, the life that it brings, the growth that it brings. Let's look at verse six. Proverbs chapter 27, verse six is where we're gonna start today. 
We'll look at verse 9, 10, and 17, but let's look at verse 6 to begin. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Point number one, a case for godly friends, friendships. Godly friends are willing to wound. Godly friends are willing to wound. Look at verse six. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, maybe you're reading that thinking, that's strange. Why would it say it like that? In the English language, when there are terms that contradict each other, they're called oxymorons. They just, they're pitted against one another. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sit well with us. We think, well, that's strange. So to use the hockey illustration, Toronto Maple Leafs and Stanley Cup champions is a bit of a contradiction, right? It's an oxymoron. I long for it to be true, but it doesn't seem right. So look in verse six. Look at the oxymoron taking place, the contradiction. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What we think it should say is faithful are the kisses of a friend and profuse are the wounds of an enemy. So how is this possible? What exactly is this proverb saying here to us in verse six? It's saying that a godly friend in your life will be someone who loves you and has intentions for you and wants the best for you enough that they will, maybe in a season or in a moment or in an occasion, they will be, like they say in Monty Python, willing to give you a minor flesh wound. It's not gonna destroy you. It won't be detrimental to you in your life, but they are willing to wound you, to give a small amount of discomfort to help correct or to point out or to ask questions in your lives regarding what they see or what they uh, suspect in your life because it says in the proverb that they are faithful to do that. They are faithful to wound you because they love you and they care for you. Now that's contrasted in that verse there with an enemy. An enemy is someone who's gonna profusely, that that word means over-exaggerated or lavished or plentiful. They will plentifully kiss you in your lives. Well, what does that look like? That might mean someone who you think is a friend, but maybe they're not, who always wants to keep you comfortable. They wanna keep you happy. They'll never speak a word of truth to you. They will never disagree with you. They want you to be complacent. And so why then are the wounds of a friend faithful? Well, we've already talked about their intentions for you because they love you, because they want what's best for you. But the thing is, is that when friends are attempting to wound us, we should see it as they are on a mission to love us. What is this mission? Well, Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 12, verses nine and 10. He says how believers in our lives together should be letting love be genuine and they should abhor what is evil. They should be holding fast to what is good. They should be loving one another and showing honor to one another. And so a godly friend who truly loves you and wants the best for you to grow in Christ and to love him more will be someone who is willing to speak a word of truth in your life. But here's the thing. What's best for you isn't always what makes you happy. It isn't always agreeing with you. It's not always keeping you comfortable. Friends correct us. Godly friends point out our sin at times. Godly friends ask questions that make us wonder why we act or talk or think in a certain way. But the thing is, is that our culture, and even in Christianity, we've been losing the ability to disagree with one another. 
We've been losing to the, the ability to be corrected or to welcome a willing wound from a godly friend. If we look at the rings of relationship again that we saw earlier, sociologists might term the relationships we have in our lives or simplify it like this. We have friends and close people in your lives, family members. And then the middle ring is casual friends. There's, there's the neighbor, the, the workplace, someone who kind of knows you, maybe even people you meet at church and you walk by them all the time, you serve with them on a team. They might be just a casual friend in your life. And then you might just have everyone who's, what we'd say, maybe a stranger, their neighbors or coworkers. What we've seen in our world over the last number of years is the removal of this middle ring. It's people in relationships saying, if you don't agree with everything that I agree with, if you ever say anything that will cause me disunity or will upset me or bother me, then you're either gonna be for me or against me. And it doesn't sound like you're for me, so you must be my enemy. I could never be your friend. We can never do life together. Maybe they're called faction friendships. And so what we've seen is this change in some of our social settings. We've seen the inability to do this. Now, this is so helpful in our lives to think that godly friends are willing to wound us. A number of years ago, I came across a quote from a, a pastor, an author, who said about leadership. He said, if you never listen to the feedback of the people around you, one day you'll be surrounded with people who only say yes to you. Think about that for a moment. Think about that in the context of a friend. If you never listen to the wounds of a godly friend around you, one day you'll be surrounded with people who only profusely kiss you. Because they're unwilling to want to speak into your life because they know that you will not respond well to it. So what might a faithful wound sound like? Let's just suppose for a moment. And, and maybe as I share these with you, you might think, I, I, I think I've actually heard that before. This is what a faithful wound might sound like in your life. Someone stepping in and saying something like, don't do that. Stop doing that. Start doing that. I can't let you go on like this. I need you to know something. Are you aware that? Or do you think that? Or, hey, why is it that? A follower of Jesus will always ask other followers of Jesus these types of questions to help them follow Jesus. They're not out to get you. They're out to help expose your heart or to know how you're doing that they can push you to Christ and say, what does God want for your life? So what do we learn about godly friendships here in this verse? Well, maybe number one we're learning, let godly friends wound you when needed. Or maybe two, see their wounds as faithful and not as harmful, not as an attack on you or your character or your personality. They're there because they want to love you in this way. Let's read verse nine. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Point number two, a case for godly friendships that we see in this verse, godly friends' counsel is cherished. The counsel that comes from a godly friend is cherished. Notice in this verse, it begins by saying, oil and perfume make the heart glad. This was a cultural description of how they used oil on the face or on a head to make you feel clean or refreshed. And perfume was used much like it is today, like cologne is today. It was a fragrance, although we have all these no scent policies, but it's meant to be pleasing in your life and make you feel glad. 
And so in this verse here, it says, just like oil and perfume make the heart glad, and then it goes into a comparison. And now, just as the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This means like soul counsel, passionate counsel in your life. From the depths of how much they love you, they love to speak into your life. When you have a question about what to do or where to go or what to say or how to act, there's someone who says, I wanna help you. I wanna contribute into your life and speak for you maybe what God would say. Now, maybe you're reading this proverb and you're thinking, the counsel I get from my friends in my life is not particularly sweet to me. They advise me things, they've been suggesting things, let's go do this, let's go meet these people. Hey, what about this? And you think, I've been making bad decisions. These friends have not been helping me become more like Christ. Maybe you are one of the people that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said that evil company corrupts good habits or good character. Maybe you need some new friends. Or maybe the friends that you thought were godly friends are in fact godly friends in your rings of relationship. So the comparison here is that a godly friend, unlike an ungodly friend, a godly friend's counsel is sweet and cherished. They speak into your life and you say, yes, that is such a good word for me. I welcome that. I welcome that advice. I welcome that opinion. You see, worldly counsel in your life might say something like, well, what do you think you should do? Or what do you want to do? Or what will make you most happy? But a godly friend's counsel to you will say something like, well, what does God's word say? Or what would God want for your life? Or what will bring God most glory? But here's the challenge. When friends speak into our lives, when they attempt to give us cherished counsel, sometimes we put up these blocks or these barriers Sometimes when they ask these questions, we say, well, you don't know the full situation or that's out of context or maybe we even doubt their friendship. Are you really even my friend? Why would you be speaking this way into my life or, or what exactly you're trying to get at? And we would do well to listen to some of the warnings in the beginning of Proverbs. We're in chapter 27, but in, in the early part of Proverbs, there's a number of times here I wanna show you on the screen where uh, the writer of Proverbs warns us against when counsel comes in our life and not listening. So in Proverbs 1.23, it says, if you turn at my reproof, or because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. This is the warning for us that God says, when a godly friend speaks into your life with wisdom or advice or discernment, we would do well to listen. It's as though God's using those people to speak into our life to help us get through this life and to live for him. So, what does sweetness look like? Well, as I said, maybe it's that friend who speaks into your life and they give you counsel and you just feel like that is a word from the Lord. Or maybe the vice that they give you, it's helpful or it's just wise. Or when you hear it in your life, you feel like that's what God's word says, that's what God would want, that's, that's good godly advice. Maybe it's counsel that is just gracious to you. I understand how you feel this way or think this, but I really feel like, you know, it's, it's gracious in how it's delivered to you. 
You know, I think um, in the 90s, there was a show of, called Home Improvement. And this character, Tim the Toolman Taylor, often found himself in predicaments. And who would he go to for counsel every single episode? He'd go to his neighbor, Wilson. And his neighbor, Wilson, would say something like, hi ho there, neighbor Tim. And you never saw his face, but he would, he would give him this dilemma. What do you think I should do? What should I say? And Wilson would give him this advice. And Tim often would mix it up or misinterpret it. But at the end, he always had this face where he looked at Wilson. He said, yeah, that's good. That's good, Wilson. And then he'd go live out. Maybe that's what sweetness looks like to you. When a friend speaks in your life and they give you godly counsel and you look at them, you're like, yes. Why didn't I see that? That is so helpful. That is exactly what I need to listen to in my life. So what do we learn about godly friends in this verse? Well, maybe that godly friends in your life will attempt to counsel you and you should cherish it. You should see it as sweetness. Let's read verse 10. Proverbs 27 verse 10 says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So point number three, building a case for godly friendships. Godly friends are close in calamity. Godly friends are close in calamity. This proverb here in verse 10 is divided into two sections. In the first section, essentially what it's saying, if we were to paraphrase that, would be don't burn the bridges of your friends. Keep them close in your life. And it even says, even maybe you want to consider some of your family friends, well-trusted people in your life that your family has known. But then it compares and says, because in the second half, when you have calamity come in your life, when you need someone who's there for you to support you, to encourage you, to show up at your doorstep, that's when you're gonna need a friend who's close. And so it uses the comparison, although maybe we think what's natural is we go to our family, maybe that's true in your life, that's great, that's wonderful. But the point of the proverb is, is in the moment of need, in the calamity, it's better to have a friend who is close than no one who you can access. So the article continued this survey and it released some results that it found. Uh, one, the question that I thought was interesting was, in the last 12 months, how many of you have lost some or most of your friends? In the last 12 months, how many of you have lost some or most of your friends that you had before the pandemic? You know what the results were in that the result? 45% of men said that they have lost some or most of their friends during the pandemic. And just over 50% of women said, I've lost some or most of my friends. So the question that I ask about this for all of us today is, well, then who will you go to in a moment of calamity? Who will you run to when you need someone to be there for you? That's what this proverb is saying. In a, in a moment of calamity, you need someone who's close. And, and yet what we're seeing in our society is less and less friends are in our lives. That should cause us to think in a time more than ever where we're more secluded and alone and independent and maybe even more complacent, who will be there to speak into your life to help you and support you and encourage you and pray for you or minister to you if we've been pushing or removing all of our friends in our lives. You know, men, just a word for you for a moment. Maybe you're like me and you're thinking, well, we're, 
We're not necessarily prone to wanting that type of a relationship in our lives. I don't, I don't really need other men in my life. I don't really like talking about how I'm doing when I struggle. I don't know if I need help in certain seasons. I feel like I can kind of get through that on my own. I'll figure it out. Maybe, maybe there's a godly woman in your life who's been reminding you, you gotta get connected with some friends. You gotta get connected with other men. Hey, how are you doing? They are right in those questions. You need other men in your life to help care for you and encourage you and pray for you and hold you accountable. That is a good question for you to hear in your life. A number of weeks ago, I had the chance to sit down with a couple in our church that was going through uh, the membership process and we had such a wonderful conversation and um, the lady was sharing how just before COVID at her workplace, she had fallen and um, had a concussion. And it was severe enough that over the last number of years, uh, she hasn't been able to get back to work. And she, her brain's been healing and her body's been healing. And she was talking about how in those early days, how this is true for her. There was a woman in her home group that would drive up to an hour and would just come in her home in the darkness and would just sit with her just wanted to be there with her. In the calamity, I just wanna be close. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And as she began to heal, she said that eventually turned into conversations and times to pray together and she would bring meals for me. And, and she was just sharing how that was such a blessing for her to have a godly friend in her life who was near and close in calamity to be the love of Christ. Now, if you've had that in your life for someone, that person is often not motivated just because they feel like, I'm just such a nice person, I'm just gonna be nice to people. That motivation comes from something deeper. It comes from a longing to say, when I was dead in sin, Christ came and made me alive. When I needed help, God came and he was close to the brokenhearted. In fact, that's what Paul writes about in Corinthians when he says this about the God of all comfort. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at this, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's the motivation for a godly friend who's close in calamity. God does this in me, and I want to do this for you. So who do you go to in a moment of calamity? Or maybe in a moment of trial or struggle, here's the question to ask. Who comes and shows up at your doorstep? The study said that 80% of men and 60% of women do not have a friend for support in difficulty. 80% of men, 60% of women do not have a support in difficulty from a friend. Now, maybe a portion of that is because they go to their spouse or they go to a family member. But the question is still true. Who do we go to when we are in a moment of need? 
And after a season of not seeing one another or maybe even being told that we can't see one another, we are in need more than ever as the people of God to be reestablishing connection, to be fostering these godly friendships in our lives because we need people in our lives to speak into us and to say, be like Jesus, love Jesus, and to help wound us or to be close in calamity or maybe in that moment when we ask questions to say, let me give you my counsel. We need this more than ever before. And so the truth about godly friends is that they're near in calamity. They know when you're struggling and you don't need to find them when you're going through a hard time because they're just there. Let's read verse 17. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man or woman sharpens another. Point number four, a case for godly friendships. Godly friends sharpen me spiritually. Godly friends sharpen me spiritually. In this verse in the proverb, we have this illustration of iron sharpening iron. It's like a blade or an ax, uh, some other weapon or tool being wielded with a, maybe a sharpener, another abrasive. It's iron, and it makes it useful together when they come together in their life. And so what we interpret from this is godly friends help make and prepare each other useful for life. In the ups and in the downs, they help one another persevere. They help each other endure. Here's what that might look like in your life. It might be a godly friend that says, let me help you study God's word. Let's memorize scripture. Let's encourage one another of the truth or the promises of God. Maybe it's someone who to pray for you or to encourage you someone who says, why don't we listen to see what God would want in your life? They're there to help you think godly ways and to live in godly ways as well. And loved ones, this fruit of what a godly friend does in your life, this is the distinguishing factor that no other friend in your life will ever be able to contribute. So the reality is, is that maybe you're thinking, you know, we're talking a lot about godly friends today, but I have a really great friend in my life, but they don't profess faith in Jesus. I think it's important to just take note here that they are probably a wonderful friend. You love them dearly. Maybe you've been friends for years. They've been there for you in trial. But at the end of the day, you share a different foundation than them. And when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, one to six, he's writing to um, believers to know how to live with one another, maybe amongst differences or disagreements. And he says, you need to know that you as followers of Jesus have one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God. That is the foundation of all of your relationships. That's also why godly friends in our lives need to be some of our best friends because there's someone who will spiritually sharpen you. They will be someone, although you have different hobbies and interests or you have different perspectives or opinions on anything, they will be able to look you in the eye and say, but you love Jesus and you've given your life to following him and so have I. And so the common denominator or the foundation that we have is that it's built on Jesus and only Jesus. It's a reason why we need godly friends. You know, if you've ever been in a situation where you look around at some of the friends in your life and you just say, wow, I'm so blessed to be your friend. You, you help me love Jesus more. If you've had that before, maybe you're often stuck in a moment thinking, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. 
I'm so blessed to be your friend. C.S. Lewis went on and he described this moment that I think is wonderful to think about. Sometimes a friend wonders what he's doing there among his betters. He is lucky beyond dessert to be in such company, especially when the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, or funniest in all the others. Think about that moment when you look at your friend across the table or in the room and you say to them, what would I do without you? I'm so thankful to be your friend. I just want you to know how much you mean to me in my life. That's what a godly friend will do. Now, maybe today you've been looking through these verses and thinking, I need that. I want that. Maybe you're a parent here today and and you're thinking, I want that for my kids. I want them to have other friends that, that at least their parents are pursuing Jesus. Maybe it's a call for you to be connected with other families here at our church that your kids would get to know one another. Maybe today you feel like you're one of those stats of one of the seniors that haven't made a friend in years. And I would say, come back to our seniors ministry. Come back here on Mondays to get connected and maybe make a friend. Maybe you're a student, you're in high school or college, and every time you sit down in your class, you look around and you think, no one else here believes anything that I believe in. Be connected in Hope Youth and Hope 20s with other believers that will sharpen you spiritually. So what does this even look like? Where, where do we find godly friends? What, what do we need to look for in a godly friend? Well, let me say this first of all you're likely not gonna find godly friends in the bar. You probably won't find godly friends in your workplace. It's not likely that you'll find godly friends in your class or on your team. So where do we find godly friends? And what does that even look like? Let's suppose one day you're flipping through Kijiji online or some digital ad and you come across this. Looking for a godly friend. (laughs) Must be willing to speak the truth and would wound me, even if it's for my greater good. Must be willing to counsel me and give well-timed advice because you know me so well and you want what's best for me. Must be willing to be available when I go through hard times. This could include frequent texts, calls, visits, meals, words of encouragement, and spending time together must be willing to contribute to my life and me yours in such a way that I love God more and am challenged to become more like Jesus. If you are interested or you know someone, please call me at BFF for you. (laughs) You're not likely gonna see an ad like that, but that's essentially our points today. But maybe more practically, this is what it might look like for you if you're desiring godly friends on the screen for us here. Number one, You have to have patience. You can't grow godly friends overnight. So it takes a commitment in your life to say, I'm gonna pursue this. Maybe I'm even gonna be praying for this right now that God would bring godly friends. Number two, it's gonna maybe involve you getting connected to a conducive community, something that's helpful where you will find something like God's people at God's church. 
Maybe you're gonna wanna get connected to serve in a ministry and get involved in a group here at our church or maybe stay a little longer in the lobby afterwards to say hello to someone that you don't know or, or when you come on the weekend to say hi to the person in front of you or behind you or beside you in your seats to get to know them a little bit. Maybe number three, it means opening your life and opening your home. Godly friendships is a relationship and it requires us to be vulnerable with one another as we build trust to say, hey, I'm struggling. I need you to pray for me. Can you hold me accountable? Here's what's going on in my life. Maybe it involves practicing hospitality, opening your home, as it says in Proverbs chapter 12, to say, I wanna bring people into my life. Even in the mess, I'm gonna open my home and I'm gonna do it because I want to be a blessing and get to know others. Maybe number four, it means standing on the truth and not fearing difference. I know it's the most important in my life. It's the gospel of Jesus that we are saved by only Jesus. So we can disagree. We can have opinions, different perspectives, different life experiences. I don't need to be afraid of that because at the end of the day, we have the same common foundation that it's Jesus, only Jesus. Maybe that's what God's been putting on your heart for some of you today. I hope that as we've looked in Proverbs 27 that we've seen maybe more than ever in our lives that we need godly friends, people that will be uh, able to encourage us, to strengthen us, to pray for us, hold us accountable, to help us be more like Jesus. So Lord, would you do that in this place? Let's pray together. God, would you do that in this family? Would you bring godly friendships in our lives that would cause us to become more like Jesus? As we've learned today, they would be godly friends who would be willing to wound, that they would give counsel that would be cherished and sweet in our life, friends that are close in calamity, friends that sharpen us spiritually. God, maybe there are some here today who profess faith in Jesus and, and they are filled with gratitude and thankfulness for the godly friends that you've put in their lives. That they be filled with a place of worship to say, thank you, God. I am grateful. I'm undeserving, but I'm grateful. God, maybe some here today professing faith in Christ are recognizing I need godly friends. I need it because it's wise. I need it because it's lacking I need it because I believe in it. I pray that you'd answer those prayers in their life. And God, maybe some here today are recognizing that they need God. That they hear what a godly friend is and they say, wow, that's so beautiful. That's unlike anything I've ever seen. I've never experienced that. So I want you, God. I want your son, Jesus, and the forgiveness that's found in him. And I wanna live my life with others around me that are doing that also. God, would you answer those prayers today? And God, I pray that amidst the difference and the opinions and life perspectives, that we'd have the humility to welcome in godly friends and be able to say, I'm just so thankful that we share a common foundation, that you believe in Christ, I believe in Christ. And it's all about him. Do this in this place today, Jesus. Amen.